Hey guys, before we get started on today's episode of Ringer FC, I just want to tell you a little bit about some of the things that are going on across the Ringer. Over the weekend, yours truly, Ryan O'Hanlon, I wrote a piece about everything that happened at the World Cup this past weekend called Germany Lives, Columbia Rules, and more takeaways from the World Cup weekend. We'll have plenty of more written content in addition to the daily podcast across the World Cup. We're also ramping up for NBA free agency. Um, the NBA season never sleeps. The draft just, just ended, but basketball content will continue to come. And on the podcast network, we've got the Ringer F. Ringer NFL show with Kevin Clark and Robert Mays talking about everything that's going on in the NFL offseason and why the Jets are going to win the Super Bowl. Now that's that's me editorializing, but check out their show. Without any further ado, let's get started on today's episode of Ringer FC. Welcome to Ringer FC World Cup Edition. This is Donnie Kwok. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Ryan O'Hanlon. What's up, Ryan? V-A-R. V-A-R. Yes, V-A-R. Played a big role in the matches today. We just watched Iran almost, almost, Ryan, knock Portugal out of the World Cup. Save for a, a shot that hit the side netting and temporarily looked like it was in. It's funny we because so close. A, there was like a minute-by-minute minute report that misidentified the player. The player that actually missed it was Mehdi Taremi, mm-hmm. and he wears number 17, I believe. So this is one time where the Adidas fonts really did fuck somebody up. <laughs> because the report said he, it was number 11, and it was actually their number 17. Of course, we're talking about uh, Group B, kind of a dramatic end there, Portugal and Iran drawing 1-1. I want to, well, let's talk first of all, there's two round of 16 matches already set up now. Uh, it's going to be Uruguay versus Portugal and Russia versus Spain. Uh, Spain drew with Morocco 2-2. Now, Portugal looked like they were headed uh, with a, a fairly easier tie, I guess, against Russia. But what happened, Ryan? Well, first, Cristiano Ronaldo was awarded a penalty uh, after being fouled in the box, the ref not calling it, and then the video assistant referee overturning it. Was it a penalty or not? Uh, I think it was. Yeah, I agree. I'd be the first person to call Ronaldo out for diving, um, but it, I don't think it was a dive. I think he might have even gotten fouled twice. Um, and then Iran were awarded a penalty in injury time via VAR, and it was converted to make it 1-1. And as that was happening, Spain was having a goal given back to them after it was incorrectly, I guess, just based on VAR, ruled to be offside, Iago Aspas. Actually, a really nice backheel finish. They said he was off, then they went to the referee, and it was awarded to Spain. So Spain Spain tied Morocco simultaneously as Iran tied Portugal, which vaulted Spain ahead of Portugal in the standings, and the games ended, ended, ended uh, drawn together. And now Spain just has a, has a way easier path to the right. World Cup final. Right, and as we mentioned, Iran was literally inches, or not inches, maybe feet away from knocking Portugal out. But the main talking point that had our whole Slack channel going crazy was uh, this Ronaldo incident, roughly 83rd minute. It was an elbow uh, to the head or to the face of Morteza 
Porlig, Porliganji. Hopefully I'm saying his name right. I actually found out that he's the midfield partner of Xavi in Qatar. For a <laughs> wow. <laughs> so Ryan, uh, me and you were going back and forth off air and on Slack. You think it was a red card. And I think it was not a red card. So try to convince me and the audience that that was a red. I just think it was based on... And maybe on, you could describe the play too, sorry. Yeah, Ronaldo sort of... The ball isn't really anywhere near them, and he kind of goes to run past uh, this Iranian player. And to me, it looks like he just raises his elbow and kind of nips him in the face with his elbow as he's running by um, in what seemed to me as an unnatural way of running. And I think my thing with this is that they then went to to VAR with this as well, as essentially every call in these two games was decided by VAR. Um, and the ref didn't award a foul at first, um, or a card comes out and gives Ronaldo yellow. But the rule is um, if you ever use excessive force in a way that's unrelated to playing the ball and could potentially injure a player, that's an automatic red card. Um, right. Which are all subjective. Yes, but that means that this should have either been a red card or it should have been incidental contact and nothing. <laughs> There's no world where this could be a yellow card, especially when the ref has, you know, he took five minutes to go the, go over this. And I think... I mean, it was, it, it was difficult, obviously, to call and you're kind of educating intent, I guess. But, you know, I feel like we see yellow cards issued for when two guys are going up for a ball... Um, and an elbow and inadvertently hit someone's face. Yeah. And we also see a lot of times this type of foul too where uh, two players are jockeying for position and on the backswing it's kind of an inadvertent, you know, uh, elbow goes up into the into the face of the of, of the defender or the opponent. And, and the way the, the player whipped his head back too was a little bit... I mean, he definitely got caught, but it didn't seem red card worthy to me. But of course, everybody was inflamed because it's Ronaldo and, and, and thought he should be sent off. But, you know, I think the yellow card was fair. Yeah, I I mean, I just... I mean, wouldn't it have been really harsh if Ronaldo got a red and then had to miss the round of 16 game? In the spirit of the game I and, like, the spirit of the World Cup, I think the ref actually made the right <laughs> decision in a way, like punishing him, but not... Uh, ejecting him or suspending him for the next game. But the I mean, rules... that would have been, I mean, like imagine if he did get a red card, that would be the major talking point and the referee would definitely be, I mean, you might say he's a coward for not, it, if he thought it was a red and not doing it because of anticipating that reaction, but. Uh, yeah, I, it, I just, I mean, it's, it's with these, you always kind of, it's like <laughs> Messi and Ronaldo, if either of them commits that foul, um, is any ref going to have the courage? To, I don't know if courage is the right word, but to look at it and then red card them in that situation while totally. if, if it's an unknown player doing the same thing to Messi or Ronaldo, probably a lot easier um, from a totally. ref's even personal safety perspective to give a red card. I mean, as usual here, we, we've spent about five minutes talking about Ronaldo and we have to talk about this Amazing goal by Ricardo Quaresma in the first half. The end of the first half. Another Travella. If you Google Travella, his picture is the first thing that comes up. So uh, we're, we're, of course, talking about his patented outside of the right boot finish. And this was uh, of his highlight reel of uh, shots like this. This is up there near the top. I mean, it's 
It's it's got to be the top, right? Because of how important it was. Yeah, I mean, I mean and, and it was also the buildup was nice. It was like a little back heel from Cedric. Yep. Uh, giving right go. in his path, a little give and go. Uh, but I mean, wow! It was just like it was one of those you stop everything and stand up when when you see a goal like that. Yeah, I mean, I've been. I've literally been waiting my entire life for him to score this goal. <laughs> You've been in Ricky Q's fan club since for day one, so. I mean, I just, you know, it's just, I love guys that are just so fucking stubborn and refuse to do things um, like everyone else does them. And he basically, I mean, he had a shot earlier in the game from a crazy tight angle where he tried to hit it with the outside of his right foot and it almost went out for a throw-in. And he's essentially made a career of refusing to use his left foot at all costs and even refusing to use the instep of his right foot <laughs> most of the time. And to see him still build a professional soccer career out of it and then to do it at, a, at the World Cup and to have it be such a huge goal because I think one thing that I've thought of after the game is that the game was pretty boring outside of all of these refereeing decisions and Quaresma's goal. You know, yeah. like there wasn't much goal mouth action on either end, save for Ronaldo getting tripped and that the Iran penalty. Um, so it was just a, it's actually a shame in a lot of ways to me that VAR kind of took over and Quaresma's goal is kind of going to be lost to the dustbin of history in a lot of ways. Well, we won't let that happen. No, that's but, true. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, the game was, it, uh, there's a lot of talking points to emerge out of the second half, but. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, I watched the whole thing from the beginning and I think the main adjective I would use is just tense. Mm -hmm. It just felt very tense. I mean, you could see even like the Iranian keeper and a defender almost squared off in like the first five mm -hmm. minutes uh, with each other. Um, but Portugal, you know, they made a, a few substitutions. Uh, Moutinho came out. Uh, the two Silvas came. One Silva came out and uh, Adrian <laughs> and Andre came in. And of course, Carezma, who scored the goal. So you can say Santos pulled the right strings there. Uh, they had much more of the ball than they did in their first two games. Yeah. Uh, of course, I, that's because of their opponent. But I don't think Portugal likes likes having the ball that much. No, they don't. They, they don't. They didn't even really create that much. But, um, you know, it's a lot of times it's a cliche, but it's that one moment of brilliance that decides the game. And that's basically what it was. Are you, uh, how sad are you to see Iran go, Donnie? I'm very happy to see them go, actually. <laughs> I, I, you know, honestly, there was a part of me that when they had that last chance, the Tremi chance at the end, I, I kind of just for chaos's sake wanted it to go in mm -hmm. just just to see, because I had, I was telling, uh, I was watching the game and I was telling Roger, our colleague, I had this vision in my head all morning of Ronaldo crying at the end of the game for some reason, <laughs> in, in sadness, not like the Neymar kind. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, premonition. But um, overall, you know, Iran was really kind of painful team to watch. And, you, you know, they were desperate at the end of the game, the second half, and they just really couldn't produce anything. So, you know, it's another one of those teams that has no finisher and... I, you know, just for the sake of football, it's, I'm glad they're not in the knockout round. Yeah. And maybe I'm also just a bitter Korean and <laughs> always loses to Iran. <laughs> well, but. it just shows you, like, how, like, small the edge is in these things, where Iran was, they scored an own goal in injury time in their first <laughs> game and then had a VAR awarded penalty in their third game. <laughs> and that was the in injury time, and that's the those are the only two goals they scored, and they were an inch away from <laughs> making it into the knockout stages. Yeah, and they would have won the cruel. group, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I believe mean, so. That would have been 
That would have been wild. But I, but I mean, Portugal, Ronaldo being in the round of 16 is just a better, um, yeah. more compelling for all of us, I, I think. I think I watched about five seconds of Spain and Morocco's 2-2 draw. Uh, you watch more of that, right? Is there anything to report there? I kind of still just feel pretty good about Spain. I know that they gave up two goals to Morocco. Um, is De Gea becoming a, a, a worry, a worrisome, you know, like liability at this point? Uh, I, I didn't see the Morocco goal, so I can't Morocco say. Morocco goal was a, just a terrible turnover by Iniesta while Spain's line was pushed up pretty high and the guy essentially had a 40-yard breakaway where he just dribbled and then put it through De Gea's legs. So again, to me, that was kind of like, I guess with Spain, it's like, do you do you write off the mistakes as kind of freak mistakes? Because that's pretty much all of the goals they've given up have been from mistakes and then one of Morocco's goals um, was a cross into the box. Mm-hmm. Or are, do you con- are you concerned that this team is making mistakes that are leading to such high quality chances for their teammates. I just given how talented the team is and they still they still create so much every game. Um I still feel pretty good about them. I, I think if anything, this game to me kind of just showed us that Morocco is pretty good. <laughs> I think they're a better team than Iran. Um and also right. like the bigger takeaway for today from today for me is that when you have two sort of clear favorites in the group, it's always better when they play on the first day as opposed to the last day. Uh, Spain and Portugal came into today both already clinching advancement. It would have just, who knows what the game would have been like. Instead, we just got uh, 180 minutes of chaos. (laughs) Right. We should talk about the earlier games. Um, As you mentioned, or as I mentioned, I guess Russia and Spain are playing now in the round of 16, and Uruguay Uruguay is going to play Portugal. Uh, Uruguay beat Russia 3-0. I don't really know what to say about this match. I mean, Suarez scored on a free kick about 10 minutes in, uh, and then there was an own goal about 10 minutes later. Um, And then uh, a red card for Igor Smolnikov in in the first half. It was was the second yellow. And then Uruguay just had the ball for the whole second half, and Cavani scored. It was very comfortable for them. Um... You know, we've been talking about Russia and and how real, I guess, they are as a contender after the first two games. I don't know if this game necessarily means they're not a contender, but you could definitely see, even before the yellow card, uh, before the red card, the gulf in class between Uruguay and Russia. Yeah. And 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 that's why it's a much more difficult tie for Portugal. Um, they should have, you know, they they I would predict that they could get past Russia, but against Uruguay, I think it's going to be. Uh, difficult for them because Uruguay actually, you know, they they played well today, and with that front line, I mean, it's it's it, they they do have finishers. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I wonder. I mean, we've talked to beat it into the ground at this point of how historically bad supposedly this group was, um, but you know, Uruguay three wins, three games, five goals scored, none, none conceded. conceded. It's yeah. you know. You can't really ask for much more than that, and it it, yeah. it is. It'll be an, it'll be an interesting match because to me these are two teams that play in a very similar way. Um, you don't really want the ball. Yeah, they don't really want the ball. They have their kind of handful of superstars up top that are going to just punish any defense that gives them too much space. So it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting push and pull. I think of the, of. I think whichever team wants to dominate possession between Uruguay and Portugal will be able to do it, but I don't know if either team wants to and how that plays out will be interesting. 
Right. Shout out to Diego Laxalt and his braids. <laughs> I don't know. What do you make of his braids? They're pretty aggressive uh, braids. I kind of like it. Yeah. It's like he saw, you know, some American like rap magazine from the 90s and was like, this is this is what I want. <laughs> but you don't like it when Bellerin does it, huh? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> and just a quick word, I guess, a very quick word on the other match because Saudi Arabia beat Egypt two to one. They had a, a, a goal in stoppage time at the end of the first half and then they had a goal in stoppage time at the end of the game. Egypt... Keeper Esam El Hadri became the oldest player ever to play in a World Cup, 45 years and 162 days. Shout out to uh, him. He, he saved a penalty and then like 10 minutes later, he conceded one. And the, the, the you know, credit to Salam Al Dasari, uh, the, the Saudi Arabian player who scored the game winner. It was a quite a nice volley, actually, close range. Poor Egypt. Mosala scored. He could have scored another. But this is a terrible, terrible, terrible World Cup for them. Zero points, bottom of the group, and they lost to Saudi Arabia. What can you say? Hey, I mean, they're. I guess they're now. It's uh, between Egypt, Tunisia, and Panama fighting it out for the worst team in the World Cup. Right. Just, TBD. I, I think. I think this probably goes to talks to the fact that like. <laughs> Just Egypt, the team is not very good, and a lot of us probably did not watch much Egypt tape coming into the World Cup, and the fact that they had Mohamed Salah seemed like, okay, maybe this team has some potential, but it's just one guy can only do so much, really. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're you're making excuses for Salah, which I'll allow. Hey, two goals. 100% (laughs) of Egypt's goals. Maybe his last game for Egypt, who knows? I can't dispute that. Oh, yeah, because also the little controversy with the Chechnya stuff. We don't have to get into all that. But before we go into our preview of the rest of the week and the third round of the group stage games, I want to talk about, Ryan, your post that you did over the weekend. Uh, Like last week, you did a front six, six takeaways from the weekend's action. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things I found interesting was, and I'm hearing actually, well, I haven't heard this specific analogy, uh, Ryan, so credit to you, that Gareth Southgate is something like Brad Stevens. (laughs) But I have been hearing a lot about people praising England uh, for their... They've been scoring a lot of goals off of set pieces. And you write in your in the piece, Ryan, that set pieces are a massively underexploited inefficiency. The fourth goal against Panama came off kind of a planned set piece play. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could talk a little bit about why that is, why it's such an underexploited inefficiency, and what England are doing to capitalize on it. Yeah, I think... It's kind of, it's simple when you think about it, but especially in international soccer where you only have so much time to prepare with your team, you know, you play maybe 10 games a year. And it's just, you know, to score a goal from open play, it requires just a ton of 10 players to be on the same page to make the right decisions, to have the right coordinated movements that it's just it's you need so much practice to kind of develop a system that will consistently create chances, right? And, like, you're not running plays during a game that a coach drew up for you. You know, maybe there's some movements you work on in practice, but it's all kind of just individual decisions hopefully leading to a goal. But with a set piece, it's literally manager draws up a play, you run the play, and your players try to execute it. And if one team is sort of spending more time doing that, they're going to score more set-piece goals than the teams that they're playing against. And we're just seeing it with England. Southgate has talked about in the past that he has essentially studied basketball and how, you know, basketball is all about 
creating space in a confined area, right, to create a good shot for your teammates. And that's what a set piece is when you're all running around in the box. Right. Um, and so... Must be easier against five than 11, though. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely way easier. But I, I think you're just... I, I did wonder that if they were wasting their set pieces in a way against Panama. <laughs> like. So? In a, in just now that the, that that set play they used for their fourth goal. Oh, can, I, you, wasting it. I mean, it can you like they should save it for the knockouts? Yeah, it's going to be on tape, um, and presumably that teams know that now. But I talked to Ted Knutson, who I quote in the piece, and he said that based on the kind of diversity of the plays they've shown, he's sure they have a ton more. The bigger issue is that this is almost becoming the big story with England that they're so good at set pieces that I think now everyone they play knows that they're good at set pieces. So will that then lessen the advantage that they have? I, I, I don't know. There's got to be one like secret play stowed away that they're going to save for the quarterfinal round. Yeah, I'm if, sure. If they get there. Um, Actually, was another thing, this isn't in your piece, but I was thinking about over the weekend. In fact, we discussed it off air. Do you think, is it, it might be hard to say this before the group stage is even over, but I was thinking that this World Cup is the best World Cup of the odds so far. It's, I, I was telling you. Is that you, recency bias or is that I think it, I think it probably is recency bias, partially because I feel like we have this conversation almost every world cup right <laughs> but isn't it usually this is the worst world cup yeah i think well i think you're right i think that's a good point because i think we're kind of conditioned to be in the oh man the champions league is so much better than the world cup like the soccer is so much better so i think we are kind of in an era where it's our impulse is to say this is actually bad like good soccer you know wake me up on a tuesday in october but <laughs> This is maybe not the best, but it's definitely the most notable, I think. Yeah. There's just interesting stuff happening. A lot VA of talking points. I mean, this is like an, a historic moment in the game with VAR. There have been, I think the number's 20 now. There have been more penalties in this World Cup than there have been in any other World Cup. And we're only we're not even 60% through the World Cup yet. So that's that in that way, it's historic. And I think it's just there's just been a crazy amount of upheaval. Um you know, even even today, it was, I think we all maybe looked at this group coming into the World Cup with Spain and Portugal, and we're just like, yeah, Morocco and Iran, like, this is kind of, it's a battle for first and second. And obviously, it, it kind of played out how we all expected with Spain first, Portugal second, but these other teams are just good. They're competent. They, they know what to do. And so I think we're seeing a couple, both from the refereeing technology, which I think is going to lead to a change in the way the game is played and we're seeing a larger trend of just there are just more competent teams out there so yeah. I, I think I would call it the most important World Cup that's a good odds. answer that's a good answer coming up we'll be taking a look at the rest of the week's action first a word from our sponsor quick break from Ringer FC to tell you about the teeter inversion table if you have back pain or if you've been lucky enough to avoid it, you still need a teeter inversion table to keep your backs and joints feeling great. I just got one, and let me tell you, my backs and my joints are both feeling great. So for a limited time, you can get the teeter inversion table plus bonus accessories and, listen to this, free pair of gravity boots that let you invert at home or at the gym. To get this deal and save... 
To get this deal and save over $148, just go to teeter.com slash FC. You'll also get free shipping, a 60-day money-back guarantee, and free returns, so there's no risk. But you have to go to teeter.com slash FC to fulfill the offer. That's T-E-E-T-E-R slash FC to get the teeter with bonus accessories and a free pair of gravity boots. Well, Ryan, we've had a lot of chaos so far. The chaos could even get greater for the rest of this week because by the end of it, we could see Argentina, Brazil, and Germany all crash out. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. Another drinking game or a drinking game for you guys. Every time a commentator says the three words, as it stands, take a shot. What if they put up the graphic with the standings where it says as it stands? Take, Does take that count? two shots. Yeah, <laughs> that also counts. Okay, um, we're going we're gonna to drive our all of our listeners to alcohol poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go day by day here. And, you know, each set of matches, there's two matches on at the same time. So you kind of have to choose one. So I'm going to present them to you, Ryan, and you tell me which one people should be watching. Yep. Starting with tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, Group C, we have the early, the early set of matches, Australia versus Peru. Denmark versus France. Australia has a 14% chance, according to 538, of going through. Denmark only need a draw, and France is a top uh, and is already guaranteed passage to the round of 16. So Australia, Peru, Denmark, France. From a drama perspective, Australia, Peru, but especially considering a draw suits France and Denmark, but I just, France is too sort of, the, the, individual talent they have is too too fun to watch for me to say that you shouldn't watch France. So France, yeah, I mean, Denmark. I, I said in the video that uh, Thomas Lamar was the breakout star and he hasn't even taken his bib off. So well, maybe Deschamps I, will put him in. This is, uh, this is your redemption game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tuesday afternoon, this one's not hard to pick. Iceland, Croatia, and Nigeria, Argentini. Argentini. Nigeria, <laughs> Argentina. <laughs> Messi's last stand. Uh, that one, all eyes are going to be on that match, right? For sure. Um, unless you're one of the, you know. Unless you're Icelandic. One million people, that people live in Iceland or uh, related to one of the reserve players on Croatia who will be playing <laughs> against <laughs> Iceland. You just got to watch Argentina, Nigeria. I mean. So Nigeria wins and they're in. If they get a draw, they're also in, provided that Iceland don't beat Croatia. Argentina basically just needs to win. And also hope that Iceland don't beat Croatia. But, I mean, I guess the way you look at it is whoever wins this game is going through. Yeah, that, that's what it seems like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there's permutations. But, I mean, it's like Argentina have to win. And, I don't know, do you think they can beat Nigeria? If you would have told me they had a must-win game against Nigeria coming into the World Cup, I would have backed them, um, considering they have Lionel Messi and various other world-class players. But I just don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I, it's, that's the thing with this team. It's like, I guess they haven't really shown us anything, right, right. <laughs> in, in a lot of ways that, to believe in them. Um, it's still like on paper, the, the paper looks so good, or at least some of the paper looks well, so good that we have to back them. But Nigeria is really, I think the way that we talk about African teams can get um, distorted sometimes. And I like think Nigeria is... Pace and power and disorganization. Yeah, like and, Nigeria is an extremely organized defensive team. Um, yeah, as our Senegal. As our Senegal. Um, that's that's why they're, they're the two um, African teams that are on the verge of being in the knockout stages. And 
like the Nigeria Croatia game, there was a penalty and an own goal, and sort of a silly penalty. Other than that, basically, and I guess Gilf- another silly penalty <laughs> against <laughs> Iceland. So outside of like a couple individual errors and one freak play, like Nigeria's defense has been extremely stout. And they also have, they do have some very pacey strikers, um, but also very intelligent strikers in space that it, 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 there's a lot of, lot to, a lot of ways to look at this and be like, Argentina's not going to be able to break down Nigeria and they're going to have to break down Nigeria because they have to win. So that's just going to leave a ton of space for um, the Nigerian attack to break into. So it kind of feels like it's sitting pretty nicely for Argentina to just get um, should me- put out of their misery. We should mention that early team news or maybe leaked team news suggests that Conaguero is out. Yep. Caballero is out. No surprise there probably. And Higain, Banega, and Di Maria back in. And Franco Armani starting in, in goal. And that's the, the rumored lineup. Yeah, and supposedly they're going back to a back four. Rojo um, will be coming back in partnering Odomendi in the center with um, two fullbacks and then Benega, Mascherano, and Enzo Perez in the midfield and then a front three of Messi, Di Maria, and Higuain, which, again, sounds good. But the the other thing I don't get with Argentina is um, the keeper who's coming in wasn't on the team until Sergio Romero got injured, and Enzo Perez, who's going to be starting presumably his second straight game, wasn't on the team until... Manuel Lanzini got injured and had to leave. So I, I just don't understand how like guys that were that far off the roster are now starting a decisive game. Desperate measures. Yeah. There's a part of me that thinks that despite everything that's happened, Argentina has like a really good performance in them. And it's not how you start a World Cup, but how you end it. And if they have a decisive victory year, those first two games might be forgotten. Yeah, I think you might be right. The other thing, I just think they have some, like they have to have like a bounce go their way, right? Yeah. <laughs> like one of these balls deflects in, one yeah. of the guys doesn't miss an open net, Messi gets another penalty and it goes in. You think there's going to be like one bounce that maybe goes their way and that kind of changes things, but it's just like nothing that would happen tomorrow would surprise me, I guess is how I would describe this game. (laughs) Also, if Iceland and Argentina both win, it comes down to goal difference between the two, so Iceland's not out of it either. Yeah, that Um, that would be cruel to Argentina. Very, very cruel. Okay, moving on to Wednesday, uh, the early games. We have Mexico and Sweden and Korea versus Germany. This is Group F. Uh, Every team still has a chance. Korea's chance is 1%. Uh, (laughs) Mexico amazingly won their first two games and they're still... Still only has a 72% chance according to 538. So uh, which of the two matches do you think you, uh, people should be watching? I think Germany-Korea. Right. Me too. Uh, and I'm not just saying that just out of uh, friendship with you. <laughs> I, I just, it's just like, I don't know what's going on with Germany. And I mean, I do know what's going on. Their defense is just awful, basically. But, you know, it's... Like that Swedish front line of Marcus Berg and Ola Toivonen, two just extremely slow 31-year-old strikers, was still able to kind of just break right down the middle of Germany's <laughs> defense. And Korea has one of sort of the best pacey counterattackers in the world on their team. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's... And Sonny just seems like 
seems like he could make Germany pay a couple times. I mean, I, I, Germany's obviously favored, but it's not out of the realm of possibility in my mind for him to nick a couple goals and knock them out. Yeah, if 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 Korea win by two or more goals, I believe, and and Mexico beat Sweden, then Korea could somehow miraculously go through. There's a lot of permutations in this group that I won't go into, but um, but yeah, I mean, you would expect Mexico to beat Sweden, so. Um, the Korea-Germany match. And, uh, you know, I think Ju- uh, Ju- there's team news that Julian Brandt's going to start and Ozil is going to remain on the bench. Mm-hmm. How do you feel, and Rudiger's going to come out, um, how do you feel about what Yergi Love is doing? I think it's just speaking to how desperate he kind of is that he's right. c- continually just shuffling through the lineup. Right. Uh, and Boateng is obviously out on the red card. That yeah. Yeah. And so Nicolas Soule comes in, who kind of concerns me a little bit because even, you know, you saw with Rudiger and Boateng against Sweden that these center backs have to cover so much space that it's basically, they're just bound to look foolish. And I don't think Soule is, Soule is just a bigger guy who kind of needs another rangy center back next to him. So I don't, that that sort of scares me a little bit. And with the attackers, uh, the other thing is like Timo Werner, I think hasn't looked great for most of the World Cup, but I thought he actually looked pretty good when they shifted him out to the left wing against Sweden because he just gave Germany like a pacey player out wide, which they don't have. Um, cough, Leroy Sané, cough. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, the projected lineup has him playing up top. So I, I think Julian Brandt, you know, he almost scored twice. But you know, yeah, he hit a couple posts and looked very, very lively. So it'll be interesting to see him with with ninety minutes. But it, none of these things look like obvious. Yes, he's finally landed on the solution to me. Well, you're usually a big Ozil supporter, and I'm usually a big Ozil detractor. This World Cup has definitely not been good for Ozil supporters. Uh, do you think it's fair for him to not? He didn't play at all against Sweden, uh, and he'll start on the bench. It looks like. Uh, uh, against Korea, do you think that's the right or wrong decision? Um, I mean, I th- I would play him just because I think he's just with him on the field, and especially with the amount of possession that Germany will just assumedly get, he's just bound to create chances. Like that's the one guarantee you get with him if he's on the field. Um, and I think, I you know, I just I I get the whole Julian Brandt. He he looked pretty pretty lively, and Marco Royce. He's looked okay to me. I, I get like the desire to shake it up, but I think Ozil is just an easy scapegoat a lot yeah. of the time. Um, and I'm usually the one scapegoating him, but I tend to agree with you, especially against Korea, because if you watch Korea, Mexico, or just watch Korea team in general, they're scared of the ball sometimes. And uh, I think Germany or Ozil, having somebody like him just to possess the ball calmly and kind of link play, he's not going to be pressed super hard. And yep. uh, he can create opportunities, like you said. If there's a match for him to play, it would be this one. But the fact that he's not playing does suggest to me that they're, I don't know about a rift. And, and I think he tweeted, Mezel, Mezit tweeted something after the game, kind of playing down any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. He seems to have lost the faith of his manager. Yeah, it's to me it almost, it's more less than him losing faith in Ozil than him kind of just clearly wanting to mix things up again in their third game because things haven't worked yet. But it's just, 
with the defense not being great, their attack has not been amazing either, in my opinion. They haven't created that many high-quality chances, and I think that's, you know, Ozil's one of the best in the world at doing that. So Yep. And then also Wednesday afternoon, I guess morning for you LA people, Group E, Serbia-Brazil is one of the matches, and then Switzerland-Costa Rica. I think that's pretty obvious which one people want to watch of those two, right? Yeah, Serbia-Brazil. Yeah, wow, that's that's probably going to be one of the better matches of this week because uh, <laughs> uh, Serbia being such kind of a tough, grizzled team, and of course Brazil being Brazil, uh, it could be pretty intense. And both teams need to win, so... yeah. I think that's that again. That's the kind of thing that plays into Brazil's hands in the sense that Serbia just has to score, you know. And I think that's if there's one team in the world you don't want to have to play against having to be on the front foot, it's probably Brazil. But just a very definitely v- vastly different styles. Um, yeah, which I think is personified. Styles make fights, right? And so the the fact that they do have vastly different styles makes it kind of fascinating. Yeah, you've got. Serge Milinkovic Savic, who's, you know, I don't know the exact measurements, but like eight <laughs> feet tall and 745 pounds. And overrated, you say, right? <laughs> no, I was just giving you a hard time. I thought he did, did pretty well against Switzerland. Um, as the number 10 for Serbia and Brazil has uh, Felipe Coutinho, who is like five foot one and 54 pounds. So just over did, under on Neymar getting fouled in this game. Ooh, let's put it at nine. <laughs> Nine <laughs> The Serbia Switzerland game. I, I mentioned. I, I thought the Croatia Argentina game was probably my favorite game of the tournament until the Serbia Switzerland game because those two teams were just going at it and, and not playing negative at all right? yep. and throwing people forward. And I mean, obviously Shakiri scoring that late in the game on basically a breakaway lets you know that um, you know both teams were really positive and I guess and kind of you know. Uh, really attacking. That that was one of the few group stage games that actually felt like a knockout stage game so far. Do you think you've been very bullish on Brazil's chances from even before the tournament started? Um, do you think it's a possibility here that they could crash out? Uh, I mean, it's always a possibility <laughs> because right. soccer, you know, these teams, like Ser- Serbia is a good team, you know? Um, and it's one game, and Switzerland is good enough to beat Costa Rica, obviously. And even if they draw, they're through. Switzerland is. Yeah, um, I, I, it's very unlikely that Brazil gets knocked out. Um, but there's also the, there's also the case that Brazil should try to come in second. <laughs> but it's kind of a tough tightrope for them to walk to finish in second and not get knocked out. So yeah, let's uh, briefly talk about that because, and actually, we'll save Thursday's matchup. We'll talk about them tomorrow. Yeah, uh, groups H and G, but. Um, you mentioned this actually in your takeaways piece today that the draw, if you kind of play it out ahead, is is starting to look really lopsided. Yeah. Uh, explain. So because Germany, sort of their their highest projection right now is to finish in second in their group. And because of the way that the draw comes out, the, the one half of the bracket currently will be Uruguay, Portugal, France is projected to come in first in their group. Then Argentina is still projected to come in second. And then Brazil, Germany, <laughs> and then England, Colombia. And that's one half of the bracket. Yikes. <laughs> so that's um, six teams that have won the World Cup on one side of the bracket. <laughs> Meaning that they would all meet each other before the final. 
Yes. They would all have to meet each other, right? Yes, exactly. And the other side would be Spain uh, and Spain playing Russia, then Croatia. Like one De- of Senegal and Poland. Yeah, or, Croatia, yeah. Denmark. I mean, not Poland, but um, Japan or Colombia. Yeah, so there's, um, it's just, you know, if Brazil, based on how this is sort of shaking out, Brazil will presumably have to beat Germany and then one of England, Colombia, or Belgium, and then either Portugal, France, or Argentina just to get to the final, <laughs> while Spain might have to just play Croatia um, or Russia, Croatia, and then maybe Belgium or Mexico. Do, do you think we kind of, we as in soccer fans and pundits and media kind of overplay the prognosticating the draw or the, I was path, thinking, the, I was, the path, I guess, because you hear a lot of talk now about, you know, well, we'll talk about it tomorrow when we get into their England-Belgium preview, but, you know, with all these third round group stage matches, people are, you know, the, 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 the knockout, the knockout draws being set up and pe- people are kind of predicting where people are going to land first or second place and what's favorable. And do you think we talk about that too much? Um, it does seem, again, like we're talking about it more than we ever have mm-hmm. in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, whether Agreed. that's just because we kind of have, like, the idea of probabilities is becoming, like, a more co- kind of common thing in the way we, we talk is this about the sports. the 538? And just 538 has a pretty easy-to-navigate model. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I do wonder, I, it's, I don't know how much managers really can or even should think about this because it's kind of none of it is totally predictable, right? Like we're saying all of this and just because all these teams are projected, most of them will probably end up in these spots, but there's still going to be a a handful of things that don't go how we think they're going to go for the most part. So it's like even trying to finagle your way in might end up screwing you over, but it really does make a difference though because Portugal finished in third in their group in the Euros. Then just by luck of the draw, they got to play Croatia Poland and Wales on the path to the final, while the other side of the bracket had Spain, Italy, Germany, and France. So it, right. it does make a difference. And then you saw France kind of dominated the final, and Portugal scores on a kind of <laughs> career-defining moment for Adair, you know, who's basically no one's heard of him since then. So it <laughs> it does make sense to talk about it, but I don't really know how much you can do as a manager other than maybe right. rest your players in your last game. I mean, speaking of Wales, Belgium probably felt lucky to get Wales. That's true. In, in that Euro, and That's of course true. they lost. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, and this is all sort of taking into account how good we thought these teams were coming into the tournament, you know? Right. And ultimately, Argentina is probably an easier matchup than Croatia is, right? Totally, totally. And by this point tomorrow, Ryan, when, we're, when we talk again, It'll either be happy, messy, or sad, messy. Yes, I can't wait. Can't wait either. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, Donnie. We'll be back tomorrow and every day this week to talk about everything that's happening in Russia. So stay tuned. Peace. Peace.